Today, I wanted to start off with probably the most famous Bible verse of all time, okay? The most famous Bible verse of all time, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, chances are if you're a human being and you are alive, you have heard this Bible verse. Uh, if, and if you'd like, oh, I'm not really a church person. If you're a sports person, you saw it underneath Tim Tebow's eyes. You know, you see it on, on, on NFL Sunday. There's always players that got John 3, 16. You're like, oh, but I'm not a football person. Well, if you're a shopping person and you go to Forever 21, and but though that store kills my soul because it's overwhelming chaos. Uh, if you go there, you'll find on the bottom of the bag, John 3, 16. And if you're on vacation uh, in, the, in the U.S., in California, and you go to In-N-Out Burger, you'll find at the bottom of your fries, John 3.16. It's just there. John 3.16. It just shows up. It's, it's actually become so famous, I would challenge that it's almost become boring. Because it's just so commonplace. We're just like, yeah, God so the world. He gave only God's son. Everybody should believe in it. We get so used to it. We get so, uh, we get so familiar with these things that sometimes we, we lose the significance of it. I would say the same thing is true at the box office. Did anyone notice how many superhero movies there are? Anyone? Like every movie is a superhero movie. And I don't know if you've recognized this or noticed this, but they always uh, go the same way. Man has a terrible accident, gets bit by something, <laughs> gets superpowers. Man has terrible accident, creates technologies to overcome, is now a hero. Alien crashes into Earth, has a giant accident, comes to save all mankind. Like these, these movies, they're the same thing over and over and over again. But did you know that this was not the first time this has happened? This is not an original idea. This is not an original thought. In fact, if you, if you can find this in the Bible in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, it says this. He came into the world he created. But the world didn't recognize him he came to his own people and even they rejected him <laughs> it's like this happened already in the bible like we movie trailer superhero man comes to earth nobody notices that he's a hero rises up saves all mankind this is a familiar story it's a familiar story that hollywood keeps cashing in on year after year week after week because it is a familiar story because it is our story this is our story. Whether or not we embrace it as our story, though, is a different conversation altogether. This is the story of Jesus. I would contend or suggest to you today that the reason why these movies keep selling out over and over and again is not just because of the major action sequence. It's not just because of CGI. It is because inside of each and every one of us, there is a longing for some kind of hero to come and save all of humanity. Ecclesiastes 3 that God has put says that it has God has put eternity on our hearts he's written it he's inscribed it onto the hearts of all mankind which means something inside of me is longing for this story to come true for this to come to fruition now as children we play as superheroes but as we grow up we become keenly aware of what it would take the sacrifice that it would take to be that person to be that hero. The reality is we are people in desperate need of a hero. 
There's another kind of movie that I like and I dress to match. I love jail movies. I don't know why I like jail movies so much. Like, I love Shawshank Redemption. Now, if you're under, like, 18, don't watch this. Uh, or parents, you know, you can, you can use your wisdom and discretion. But I love the story of a man wrongfully accused in prison, uh, trying to fight his way to freedom, tunnels his way out, spoiler alert, makes his way out, goes to a whole another country and runs away because there's something inside of me that says at least he ran away, at least he found a, a little bit of freedom. Maybe redemption looks like him sitting on a beach looking over his shoulder, but even if he's looking over his shoulder, his life is not. Wasted. I love the idea of the jailhouse movies. I love, uh, has anyone seen The Hurricane? Anyone seen The Hurricane? Boxer, wrongly accused, goes to prison, spends most of his adult life in jail. Denzel Washington, I mean, legend. And a true story of a team of lawyers who work for free, some law students, and eventually overcome the system, find a way, use new technology to get his name cleared and his freedom restored. There's something inside of each, every one of us that responds to these stories. And I've just been wondering, what is it about me that responds to these guys sitting in prison? Because the truth is, if I was to meet, if I'm being really honest, and you don't have to be this honest if you don't want to, but if I was to meet one of these people on the street, I probably would have already made my judgment about them and wanted nothing to do with them, right? That's, that's the human condition. That's how... We view, and yet I'm keenly aware that I am, in many ways, living in my own prison, a prison of my own making, a, pr- a prison of my own past, of my own mistakes, of my own regrets, and maybe that's why I d- identify so well or so closely. Maybe that's why I connect, because I feel like I'm living on borrowed time, and even though it feels like I'm free, I always take a look over my shoulder to see what is coming at me, what's coming behind me. You know, Romans 3 says this, Romans 3 verse 23, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now, if you've been around church, you you know this verse. If you haven't, you're like, oh great, I know where this story goes. This is just your way of putting on me shame and embarrassment. This is you reminding me that I'm a disappointment. We often connect to this verse for the wrong reason that it exists. We connect to it because we're like, oh, yeah, that's me. Another failure, another mistake, another regret, more pain, more embarrassment. You don't have to look at me in the eye. I already know that you're condemning me, Jesus. And yet Hollywood isn't the only one who can tell an epic story. You may be, or you may remember or have heard the story of the prodigal son, a son who takes all of his father's inheritance while he's alive. So essentially shakes his fist in his face and says, Daddy, cash me out now. (laughs) And he goes, gambles, and parties, and spends away what took his father a lifetime to accumulate. Son, at rock bottom, Staring at pigs eating slop has the realization that even his dad's slaves and servants have it better. Even the slaves 
and servants eat better. <laughs> he is sitting, starving, desperately, hoping, waiting. <laughs> Maybe I could just eat a little bit of what those pigs are eating. That, that corn in the corner, I don't, it doesn't matter if there's junk everywhere. If it's good enough for the pigs, starving, emaciated, he goes, no, 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 no. No, I'm, I'm coming home. And he does the walk of shame all the way back home. Expecting that nobody's waiting. Anticipating the look of disappointment. Anticipating the wave of regret that would live within him day after day as he lives in the servants' quarters, eating from the servants' table while he watches his family move on with their lives. He expects upon his return that most have already forgotten about him. What he did not know. The plot twist moment is that his dad, every single day, would walk out to the end of the road and wait in anticipation, saying, maybe today is the day that my son will break that horizon and come home. This is what the Bible says in Luke 15. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. <laughs> and his father was not filled with disappointment. He was not filled with regret. He was not filled with, with, with guilt and shame to be poured upon his son. Instead, his father was filled with love and compassion. While he was a long ways off, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son had come back home. This is what the Bible says about Jesus. So the word in John chapter 1, the word became human and made his home among us, our hero. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. The thing, the marker, the thing that defines Jesus is his unfailing love and faithfulness. His unfailing love and faithfulness. Just a few moments ago, we read that all have fallen short of God's standard and we, without even realizing it, started recounting and putting shame and pain upon ourselves. But we did not finish the story. The next verse continues in Romans chapter 3, verse 24. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of his own sins. You see, we could stop the story and say, oh, we've all fallen short. We'll never, we'll never make it. We'll never move forward. And we could pile shame and regret upon ourselves. Or we could understand that Jesus did not stop the story there. No, God freely and graciously declares that we have been made right through our hero, through our Savior, his name is Jesus because Jesus came to make a way for you and for me. Our hero, who did not come by accident, but entirely on purpose. Our hero, who did not come as a result of technology or a bug bite or some magical anything. He came with one intention. For God so loved the world that he sent on purpose his one and only son. That's the why behind the what. 
Sometimes we contemplate Easter. We think about Jesus on a cross and we think about what happened. But have you ever thought about why he did it? Why did he do it? Anyways. 1 John 4 says, this is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. This is real love. This is real love. Romans 5 frames it like this, but God showed his great love by sending us Christ to die for us while we were sinners, while we were still sinners. Not after we earned it, not after we performed and he gave us a nice badge of honor by saying, listen, I've wiped the slate clean. No, while we were still sinners. Earlier in this chapter, it says, while we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time. He came at just the right time. Later, he goes on to say, while we were still his enemies, Jesus came for us. You see, your story is not a story of failure. Your story is not a, a story of sin, shame, and regret. Your story is not any of those things. Your story is marked by one thing, that Jesus Christ, before you were even a twinkle in your mom and dad's eye, before you even knew that anyone knew that you would exist, he made a move to save you, to turn your life around. He came to this earth by his own choice, sent on a mission to change your life life forever in a glorious moment our savior our hero our superhero jesus christ was nailed to the cross and as they pounded those nails into his hands and into his feet along with his flesh they pounded my sin my shame regret. Jesus wasn't the only one who died on that cross. So too did the very things that were nailed along with him. Jesus Christ. Savior of the world. So here we are, some 2,000 years later. And we recognize that what Jesus did was nothing short of heroic. John 15 says that there's no greater love than to lay one's life down for his friend. But again, like an incredible screenwriter, the plot twists. Not only did Jesus die on the cross. And if he did, it would have been seemingly enough. In fact, most of us live as if all Jesus did was die on a cross. We live with the awareness that he did that for us, that he cleared the slate, that he gave me a fresh start. But he said, no, no, no. It's not enough. It's not finished yet. Friday, Three o'clock in the afternoon, the sky turns dark, the lightning crashes, the world changes as our Savior 
passes with these words. It is finished. The sin, the shame, the regret, it is finished. This segment of time is over. It is finished, but I think echoing the sentiment of Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think Jesus said on the cross also in Hebrew, I'll be back. Saturday, overwhelming grief and mourning as they cannot come to terms with the fact that it's over only three years of his active ministry. All these people had known him for days, months, years. How could it be over? This can't be the end of the story. And then on the third morning, a Sunday morning, two ladies make their way to the tomb to spice the body. Now, I don't know what spices you take to spice a body. I'd probably take like an allspice. Maybe Mrs. Dash. I don't know. I don't know what you use. Maybe some cinnamon. I just sweeten it up. I'm not sure what you do. Basil? Uh, whatever you do, don't use bay leaves. And it's like they go to spice this body. You're like, that's a weird thing. That's just a first century thing. See, Jesus was taking down his lifeless body, placed in a tomb, in burial clothes. And all the conspiracy, the government actually executed a conspiracy. They thought the disciples were going to come and steal the body. And so they placed an armed guard in front of a tomb, and they rolled a giant stone in front of it to keep everybody out. And when these ladies showed up, not only were the soldiers nowhere to be found, the massive stone was rolled from the face of the tomb And the glowing being known as an angel was just chilling above, saying, oh, he gone. He gone. And they're like, what? They look in the tomb. The burial clothes are perfectly folded. Yes, Jesus, upon his resurrection, made his bed. And he was gone. They poke their head in and they cannot believe it. The angel says, go and tell, go and tell. The story is not finished. We are turning the corner. He may be dead, but he's back. He's back, baby. Jesus is back. They rush to tell the disciples they cannot believe it. And for days after, Jesus starts appearing and showing up. And they're terrified and afraid. They're like, are you a ghost? He's like, no, I'm hungry. So they feed him some food. Ghosts don't eat food, Jesus says. And they touch him and they put their hands in his wounds, which is gross. And he's alive, and he's alive, and he's alive. And the significance of this day today is that we celebrate not just that he died, but that he rose again, that he's resurrected, that if he did it once, he can do it again, that Jesus Christ will be coming back, that not only did he write a new chapter for my story, not only is he transforming my life, not only does he want to bring me mercy and grace and forgiveness and hope and destiny, but he is alive and wants a personal relationship with me and wants to walk with me in this life and into the next, into eternity. That he changed the game. You thought this game was all about this lifetime, this lifespan. Jesus said it's not about these 60, 70, 80 years that we get right here. He's like, what about the rest of it where we get to spend the rest of time together? And so Jesus creates an opportunity for you and for me to walk with him every single day of our lives here. Because he is alive. And he's 
living and he wants to walk with you and talk with you and speak to you. You see, you come to him with these crazy thoughts and ideas and these dreams and he just sits there and goes, I know, I know, it's amazing, isn't it? Because he put them inside of you. The dreams, the hopes, the desires, the aspirations, the talents, the gifts and the abilities, they all came from him and he says, watch, if you walk with me, I'm gonna draw them out of you. I wanna create with you a future that you could have never hoped for, that you could never imagine because Jesus is, is the God of more than we could ever ask, hope, imagine or dream. He's not just talking about wiping our mistakes away. He's talking about writing a new story together. And so we celebrate that from this day forward, that from this moment, if we recognize that Jesus is king of our lives, then we have a better future than we could have ever dreamed of. Just around the corner. This is what Jesus did for us, foretold centuries before he took the cross. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. First Peter says he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of our souls. Today, we have an opportunity to turn our eyes towards Jesus, the creator, the healer, the king, our shepherd, our hero, the sacrificial lamb, and the guardian of the galaxy, Jesus Christ.